All right, well, you need to grab a Bible and uh, open to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. We're going to be in there today. If you don't have a Bible, uh, if you forgot yours at home, grab a red Bible. They're sitting around. Or like most of us these days, seem to use the Bible on our smartphone. And so grab your smartphone. We use the actually the Bible app. It's the official one sanctioned from heaven. And, uh, and so if you use the Bible app, uh, we have a live event in there. And you can follow along right on your phone if you want to, if that helps you. But our value is to get everybody's eyes on a page so that you can see the transformative word of God for yourself. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, we're in this four-week series on worship, and it's called Worship More Than Music. Uh, The idea being, as we've been talking about for four weeks, what does it mean when we as a body come together and engage each other and engage the one true and living God in the exaltation and worship of him. And so we've been talking about how um, worship music helps us worship. And and really, we spent a lot of time in our first two weeks talking about what music looks like. Last week, in particular, if you didn't catch that, uh, I got to do interview Alina, our worship director. She did a fantastic job up here with me and uh, talking about some of our values in worship. If you missed that, you really ought to go back and listen to the, the podcast of that. You can skip the first part. Just get to the part with Alina, because that's the good part. And, uh, and you, you'll just really, I think, appreciate some of the values that we have in the worship, in the musical worship of our almighty God. This four-week series on worship, though, we we started uh, in week one with more than a feeling and and talked about how when we elevate our feelings in worship, we're actually worshiping ourselves. And so there's a sense in which worshiping our feelings is idolatry. And so we talked about focusing ourselves on the worship of God. But then, not to get it out of balance, we talked about the importance of feelings in worship, emotion, that if we eliminate our hearts from worship, it just becomes that we're going through the motions. And so, uh, so last week we spent time talking about that. Today we're going to move kind of away from the concept of music in worship and begin to talk about what non-musical worship looks like in our lives. And the idea is worship then is more than me. And there are ways that we can worship God every single day in everything we do. And so if you were to write one thing down, if you were to take one note from what we're saying today, I put it up here so you can write it down and remember it, write it on your hand, on your spouse's forehead, whatever it takes you to remember this idea. Everyday worship happens when we emulate the sacrificial life of Jesus. Everyday worship happens when we emulate the sacrificial life of Jesus. And we're going to focus on Luke chapter 9, but really one verse in Luke 9, will form the meat of, uh, of our sermon time today. And that's Luke 9, verse 23. Then Jesus said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That is the essence of what we're going to be looking at today. Luke 9, 23, and some of the surrounding verses. You see, there's this idea that we have in life that, uh, that we emulate things. Maybe you had a, a, a hero in your life that you've tried to emulate. Uh, oftentimes, I, lo- I love baseball, so I talk about a, a good baseball player picks out another baseball player from era past and tries to emulate or copy that baseball behavior that made that player good. We find someone and elevate them and emulate their behavior. And when we do that, 
uh, there is an honor that is bestowed upon the one we're emulating. Uh, this happens to me as a dad from time to time. One of my kids will come out with tools, you know, like Malachi, my youngest, he's five. Uh, one birthday, he got all dressed up in all this tool man outfit because he saw his dad working in the garage with tools and, and he wanted to be just like me. But, but even better than that is this emulation right here. That, that is Malachi and Olivia who came down, uh, that might have been Father's Day, uh, to bless me by being like me. Uh, I, to love the Cubs like I love the Cubs. Worship is a way <laughs> of gladly reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth. You know, it has been said that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And when we imitate Jesus, we worship him. And so we ask this question. And I, I've thrown John Piper's definition of worship out for the last three weeks because I think it's great. Worship is a way of gladly reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth. When we emulate the behavior and life, the sacrificial life of Jesus, we are reflecting back to God how great he is. The, I love this definition because it reminds us that we have nothing in and of ourselves to give to God. That's the gospel is that we're helpless. And yet what we can do is hold up our lives as a mirror. And as we emulate the behavior of Jesus, we say, look, God, how great you are. Look, look at yourself. All glory goes to you. We hold up our lives as a mirror by emulating Jesus. Everyday worship happens when we emulate the sacrificial life of Jesus. Now you might say, okay, Dave, I sort of get that, but Luke 9, 23, this passage about taking up your cross daily, how is that really about worship? That seems more about just daily how we live. How is that about worship? What does this passage have to do with that? Well, we talked about our title of uh, this, this message today, Worship More Than Me. And really, worship is about the sacrificial life of Jesus. To prove this, that this passage is about worship, we need to look at context. And so look at, just jump back in your text here to verse 18. And, and, and let, me, let me talk to you a little bit about what's going on. We're a midway point in the gospel, in Luke's gospel, is account of the life of Jesus. The disciples have been following Jesus and learning more about who he is. They started by thinking he was an incredible teacher, rabbi. They're starting to get the hint that something more is going on here. And so it says, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, hey guys, uh, a little opinion poll survey says, uh, when you're out with the crowds, who do the crowds say? Who do they think I am? And the disciples replied, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. Okay. Jesus said, what, what do you say? What about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And then Peter, <laughs> Peter, in this great moment that's, that's the centerpiece of so many gospels of the gospel writers, he says this, Peter answered, you are the Christ of God. The, the word Christ, it means Messiah. You are identified. They're, you're not just a rabbi. You're, you're this Messiah. You're the one. And it's this fantastic moment of worship where Peter is ready to go. I I'm ready to glorify God through you, Jesus. Look at you. Let's go. I mean, Peter's saying, woohoo, you know, public glory of God. I'm in it. And Jesus says, uh, hang on there, big guy. <laughs> I don't think you really know yet 
what this means. I mean, you, there's worship going on here, but you don't get the, the full extent of it. And so oddly, so oddly enough, Jesus turns to them and says this. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. Well, if this is about the public glory of God, why on earth would Jesus say that? Why wouldn't he, okay, tell everybody. This is great news. He tells them not to tell anyone. And then, to make it worse, Jesus says, and the Son of Man, which is a reference out of the book, the Old Testament book of Daniel, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter just has this great moment. You are the Messiah. You're the one. And Jesus goes, oh yeah, by the way, I'm going to die and be killed. Oh, well, that, that's not really the response that I think Peter was ready for here. And what Jesus is essentially saying is if you're going to follow me, if you're going to worship me, uh, it's not going to be easy. In fact, you may not want to do that. See, we worship God by emulating Jesus. And I think in verse 23 then, after Jesus sets the stage for this thing about taking up your cross daily, denying yourself, when we get to this point, Jesus is going to say, if you're going to emulate me, if you're going to worship God by emulating me, it's going to mean three things. First of all, deny yourself. Second of all, take up your cross daily. And third, follow me. Uh, and we see this in verse 23, the very first part. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me. So how do I worship by emulating Jesus? I, I have three ideas for you today. How do you worship by emulating Jesus? And if I were to break this down into three things, I think the first thing you would do is commit to an other's first life. Commit to an other's first life. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. When we worship God when we emulate this value in particular. Now just think about Peter for a second. He had just realized that Jesus is the promised Messiah. So in Peter's mind, he most likely thinks, oh, this is a pretty good deal. Jesus is the promised Messiah. We've been looking for the Messiah for centuries. And this means that Jesus is going to vanquish the superpower of the day, the Romans. He's going to kick them out of Israel. And he's going to set up his own government in Israel. And now Peter thinks, oh, I get to be in a major position. I get a cabinet position in this new kingdom that Jesus is going to set up for the new king of Israel. And if Peter hadn't thought that yet, uh, Jesus knows that he's going to be thinking that. And so Jesus straightens him out. So he says, you know, if you're going to emulate me, it's not going to be about red carpets and political power. I'm going to be treated horribly, Jesus says. I'm going to be rejected and killed. I'm going to be all alone. And if you emulate me, you will too. But it's okay, Jesus said, because I have a mission of the Father in front of me. I've de denied myself. I'm, I'm in this for others. Peter, like every single one of us, is simply thinking about how to advance his own cause. Because Peter, like every single one of us, spends an enormous amount of time thinking about himself and how to advance himself. And you and I can relate to this exactly because we spend an enormous amount of time thinking about ourselves. 
All right, just a little transparent moment here for you. Your pastor, Pastor Dave, uh, really likes himself a lot. <laughs> like, I mean, if I'm honest, I spend an enormous amount of time thinking about me. Uh, the first thing I think about when I wake up in the morning is myself. You know, tell the dog to stop barking. He's bothering me, right? <laughs> the kids were tickling my feet trying to wake me up this morning. Stop it. I just want to sleep. I, uh, the last, the first thing I think about, I'm so tired. I don't want to get up. Or on some days I'm like, well, it's 4.30 and I can't get back to sleep and I'm awake anyway, so I might as well get up. The very first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning is probably you. It's the first thought that enters your head. It's the, the same one that enters my head. The last thought before I go to bed usually is this. Am I going to fall asleep tonight? I, I don't know. I have issues falling asleep from time to time and I think about me. I'd like to say the last thing that I think about before I go to sleep is my awesome wife who's gorgeous and sleeping next to me. And I think, wow, what a blessed man I am to have a woman like this. But no, I think about me. <laughs> I'd like to think I th think about God. I'd like to say that. Not really. I probably most of the time think about me. Most of the time we do this. How do I make my life better? You probably think the same thing. But Jesus says, if you want to emulate me and worship God by emulating me, you have to turn this thought on its head and deny yourself. And this is so foreign to us. Look at verse 24. I think Jesus in verse 24 is expanding on this very first idea. Verse 24, he says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. That is such an counterintuitive thought. If you want to save your life, you have to lose it. Wait, if I want to save my life, I save it. If I want to lose my life, I lose it. Jesus puts the exact opposite in. He says, the very thing that I'm doing to advance my own life, he says this to Peter, the very thing you're doing to advance your own life will hurt it. So what does it mean to deny ourselves? Well, the word deny just means to disregard ourselves or pay no attention to ourselves. That is incredibly difficult to do. Where in our world do you hear the message, hey, it would be great for you if you just stop thinking about yourself. That doesn't sell products. That message is that, oh, it's not really about you. That doesn't sell products. In fact, we hear you deserve this vacation away, right? How many times have your email box filled? You deserve a vacation. You deserve this. You need this. You should spend your money focused on you because it'll make your life better. Or the same thing is your children need this. You'll be a bad parent if you don't buy this product for your children. Uh, even the sad pet commercials. You know what I'm talking about? The ones that, you know, put sad pets and want your money. It's really about you. You're relieving your guilt somehow by giving away your money, saving a pet. How about social media? The whole thing is designed to get you addicted to likes, to make you feel better or worse, depending on how number of likes you get. Think, oh, 200 likes. I feel really good. Or because I don't do Facebook, three likes and I feel really good about myself, you know? Like how many, it's all designed about you. How about marriage? Marriage in today's uh, generation has become based on feelings and love. Marriage is really hard. The only way marriage works is through self-sacrifice. 
The only way it works is if you deny yourself, and yet we would be told, well, marriage is about your feelings and making you feel good. The, to worship Jesus by emulating him, you and I have to make a conscious decision to deny ourselves because the message around us tells us every day, every day, don't deny yourself, indulge yourself. Every single day you're getting that message. Many people are doing this, and we have to make a conscious decision. As a church, we've made a conscious decision to prioritize relationships over programming. Uh, you, people hear me say it, our staff hears me say it all the time, people are more important than programs. People are more important than programs. And so while programs are, can be helpful, they're vehicles to relationships. Well, it'd be very easy us just to go, well, look, we got all this set of programs. Look how great we are as a church. And yet we could be so busy, we wouldn't actually know each other. See, we sometimes have to think, how can I deny myself for the benefit of somebody else? Think about Sundays for a minute. You walked in here today. Did you think, what's going to happen for my benefit today? Did you think, I, I wonder if Pastor Dave's going to be any good today or whether I'm going to be asleep. Did you think, I wonder if I'm going to get anything out of it today. I, I wonder if the music's going to really resonate with me or not. Is, is today going to meet my kids' needs? Do I like it? And the whole message is, stop it. If anyone's going to follow Jesus, you have to deny yourself. So you walk through these doors on Sunday morning, and all of a sudden it becomes not about you. The minute you come in this place, you're surrounded by a family of people who are working to deny themselves. And we're all in this together, doing that. We emulate Jesus when we stop working so hard for our own benefit. We flip it. We deny ourselves. We pursue others. And this is what Jesus did. He denied himself and he lived for everybody else. And he was God. If there was anyone who rightfully could be only focused on himself, it was Jesus. And yet he didn't. He denied himself. Everyday worship happens when we emulate the sacrificial life of Jesus. So we, we commit to another's first life. The, the second thing we do then is commit to an other world focus or authority. Commit to another world authority. Look at the second phrase. If anyone comes after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. This is the hardest phrase of this verse, I think. Take up his cross daily. Because when we immediately hear the word cross, we connect it with the cross of Jesus Christ. Why wouldn't we? Whenever we talk about the cross, we talk about the cross of Jesus Christ. It's difficult to get our heads around this. When we think of the cross, we think of Jesus. He died for our sins. Well, how are we supposed to die for someone else's sins? I don't understand what it means to take up his cross. How do I do that? And the problem is, is we're connecting the word his with the wrong his. The his cross is not Jesus' cross. His cross is your cross. It's my cross. Okay. I mean, Jesus hadn't been crucified yet when he said this. And his disciples didn't really understand that that's what was going to happen. So how would the disciples have thought of that? Take up my cross. How would they have thought of that verse, that saying, in light of the fact that Jesus hadn't been crucified yet? Well, they would have thought about it in the terms of the ro normal Roman form of execution of the day. The cross. The Romans perfected this cross, this crucifixion, this execution process because it was brutal, because 
It took a long time to die when you're hanging on a cross. And it made a public statement to everyone, Rome is in charge. Don't mess with Rome. I, I've talked about this a lot in, in the past because it's the best example to understand how people in the first century thought about the Roman crucifixion. But uh, it, about 100 years before Jesus was saying this, roughly 100 years, um, a, a slave in the Roman Empire by the name of Spartacus, perhaps you've heard the name of Spartacus, he led a slave revolt against Rome. He, he gathered so many slaves together that it was an army of slaves that became a threat against Rome. And so one of a Roman private citizens, when they didn't seem the government could do anything at the time, used his own money. He, he was in the, probably within the 10 wealthiest people in the history of the world. And he raised an army to go fight these slaves. And when he took down the slave revolt in Spartacus, the way that Rome made a signal, signal to everyone else is they took a road that was popularly traveled called the Appian Way. It was a 120-mile road or so, and they took 6,000 of these slaves that revolted and they hung them on crosses all along the road for the 120 miles. It, it's roughly every 100 feet there would be another cross with another person being crucified, dying slowly over what probably took days. And can you imagine having to travel that road? Maybe you were going to Rome and you had to travel that road. And walking 120 miles day after day, you would look up and see the cross every 100 feet or so. Another person is crying out in agony as they were crucified, and the message was clear. Don't you mess with Rome. Rome is your authority, and if you mess with Rome, this will happen to you. So in essence, when someone who was a convicted criminal sentenced to die, he had to pick up his cross, he had to carry the crossbar to the, the stake in the ground, he had to do it himself as a symbol of humiliation and a symbol of saying, you didn't want to submit to Rome, but you are going to have to. See, to pick up your cross was a sign of submission. It was a sign of forced submission. Now, Jesus is saying, in, by inserting the word daily in there, he's saying to them, you have a choice in this matter. You choose daily to put down your own authority and submit to the authority of God himself. Submit to an other world authority, and that means God. And this is not merely submit, it's also adopt. We must adopt the mission and values of the kingdom of God. We see our lives now through the lens of God's kingdom. So our lives are not about houses and cars. It's not about security for our kids. It's not about a good job or a cushion for retirement. It's not about sexual pleasure or about the freedom to do whatever you want. It's about advancing the kingdom of God because you, in essence, give that up when you embrace the cross daily. It's a sign of submission. And this is supported in verse 25. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Uh, you see, if you place yourself as the authority of your life, you're going to lose your very life, lose your soul. You and I get lost in all kinds of wrong stuff. 
That's why Jesus inserts the word daily here. Because he just knows that like every other day, we won't do this. And so there is a daily renewal to the idea of submitting to another world authority. We wake up and we go, okay, I made this commitment to Jesus and today I'm going to have to do that all over again because yesterday wasn't so great. And, and I, I love that. It's just a realism to it. And we worship God when we emulate the behavior of Jesus in this way because Jesus submitted himself to the Father in this perfect example I talk about it all the time when Jesus was, was the night before he was crucified or a couple nights before he was crucified. He's in the garden. He's getting ready to go on trial. He's sweating blood. He's so stressed out by what was coming. And he says, if there's any way, let this pass from me. I don't want to do this, but not, not my will, but yours. We emulate the behavior of Jesus. We worship God when we commit to this other world authority. The third thing I want you to know is, is that uh, to worship by emulating Jesus as we grow in otherly resolve. I got to be honest, I really like the word other in my outline and I stretched it a little bit, but it looks great. So we'll go with the otherly resolve. And this is what Jesus talks about here in terms of the word follow me. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And I take by this that Jesus means grow in an otherly resolve. In, the, uh, in, the, in Jesus' world, in the ancient Near East, the word follow meant what we say, to literally walk in the same path as someone else. So as a rabbi, and Jesus wasn't the only rabbi in the, in the first century in Israel, there were other teachers and rabbis, and this is how it worked. A rabbi would grow in influence, and he would grab disciples, followers, and they would literally travel with this rabbi. They would really follow him, down a road to a next town. So if they were going to Jerusalem, they went together and they walked with him. They followed him. They were going back up to Galilee. They'd follow him. They were going out to the Jordan River. They'd follow him. It was what they did. This is how rabbis taught their disciples. They just walked around together. And so follow literally means to, to submit to a rabbi, to a teacher, because you're going to walk around with him. If a rabbi were mistreated, his followers were right there mistreating him too. They were following him. If a rabbi was rejected by the masses, so were his followers. They were walking down the same road. I think of it like this. Um, have you ever walked in to a squirt gun war? Because <laughs> you're going to become collateral damage, right? You walk in, and especially if you're standing next to someone, or think about the sideline of the Super Bowl when the reporter is interviewing the star player of the game, and she doesn't see it coming from behind him, but there is a big bucket of Gatorade getting ready to be dumped on someone, and, and she's standing right next to the guy, and it's like collateral damage. That is the picture that Jesus paints here. If you're going to follow him, you're going to be close enough to him, walking close enough to him. There's going to be collateral damage in this. He was rejected. People reject him today. We might be rejected too. And that is depressing, okay? Because Jesus says, if you're going to emulate me and worship me this way, it's going to be hard. Look how you're treated. Expect it. And this is because we have a real enemy, friends. We have a real enemy, Satan, who is diametrically opposed to God. And as the kingdom of God invades this world, the realm of Satan, as Satan has been bound, excuse me, as Satan has been defeated, but not yet bound, 
Satan has a desire to thwart the kingdom of God, and so every inch we take back for the kingdom of God puts us in a place of difficulty. Have you ever thought, why is life so difficult? Why are there so many problems? Why are there so many people, young people with deep problems, suffering, pain? This is because Satan doesn't want to let go, doesn't want to admit he's defeated through the resurrection of Jesus. This world is not interested in the things of God, so... This world is interested in selfishness, destruction, and rejecting the things of God. And so, we may take some collateral damage in this. And Jesus says, you need to grow in your resolve to follow me, because it's going to be hard. In in terms of a modern application, you and I probably aren't going to get fed to lions. We're probably not going to get strung up in a Roman Colosseum and burned to light the amphitheater. Um, most of us are squelched, though, by social pressure. I mean, just think of what you can and can't say at work. You know, don't you? You know what you can and can't say at work, what'll get you in trouble and what you won't. Now, there's a sense in which we need to be wise in how we speak. And, and I'm not saying that you should just go get yourself fired tomorrow. What I am saying is that we feel the pressure. We feel the pressure. We know that if we speak for Christ, if we do or don't do certain things, there will be a consequence. And we shouldn't be surprised by it. Because when we embrace the good way, the way of Christ, the way of worship, the way of emulation, when we embrace and say, everything the world has is not for me because I find my joy in Christ. And when we say this, there's going to be consequence. Look what Uh, Jesus says in 26, if anyone's ashamed of me in my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I mean, there's a consequence. Jesus is returning as king and we are on the right side and we have to answer for how we live in this life. Do we face rejection? If so, what do we do with it? When we worship properly, we take our eyes off ourselves and embrace the rejection that was given to our Lord, and that is hard. And I'm not up here, this is not not the message that you hear and go, wow, I left church today, I just felt so good. Dave just so encouraged me. Uh, This is a hard, the gospel's hard sometimes. It's hard. There's a war going on all around us, and we're agents of the kingdom, and we should not expect a vacation. Everyday worship happens when we emulate the sacrificial life of Jesus. And this means we have an otherly resolve to stand up amidst the pressure. And this is all enlightened and heightened by the gospel message itself. That Jesus, it would have been way easier for him to just go, you know, I'm existing from eternity past. I am part of the Trinity the Godhead existing from eternity past with all the rights and privileges of the Godhead associated with it. I know that we created these people and they rebelled against us as the Godhead talks to himself. And Jesus goes, you know, I'm good. You're on your own. No problem. Thanks for playing. But he didn't. He did the most difficult thing for the glory set before him. Endured the cross, scorning its shame was seated at the right hand of God. These are the things that Jesus did for us. This gospel message that he would come down from heaven, invading our realm, take down Satan, 
through the cross and resurrection, that he would do this for us, that he would sacrifice himself for our sins. The implications of for this grace is extended to us today. The gospel is not something that just happened to you in the past. It's not. It's something that you live with every day. God's grace to you is extended every day. The gospel is not just good news. In 1978, when I sat in my bedroom and prayed with my dad, the, the gospel is not just for 1978. The gospel was for today, for me. The good news affects every aspect of my life. He is always with us. We are never alone. And that's how in the sense in which this is the good life. Following Jesus is a growing venture. I, wanna, I always, once in a while, not always, once in a while I geek out on grammar with you. And, uh, and I just like grammar. It makes me happy. But anyway, um, so in, verse, uh, in this verse 23, there's a couple things about the grammar of the Greek that are really fascinating. Um, if anyone come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross, follow me. Three verbs, deny, take up, follow. Two of those are a particular Greek tense called the aorist tense, and one of them is a present tense. And when you, you study Greek, you get that these verbs in these tenses have implications for, for how they're supposed to be interpreted. And, and the, those aorist, the first two verbs, deny, take up, the idea is that is a commitment rooted in the past with implications for today. So I think that when we come to Jesus, there's a sense, you know what, I am going to deny myself and I am going to take up the cross. And that was something, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, this gospel message, that's something in the past you did, but it has implications for today. Follow me is a present tense. That means it's still ongoing. So our commitment to the gospel, it was rooted in our past, but daily we're still doing this. We're still living out this commitment every single day. Putting others first, submitting to God's authority, these are decisions of commitment and conviction. Follow me is, is an idea of facing rejection with resolve, and this is an ongoing process, one that grows. So as a church, we like to talk about this same concept in, in these words right here. <laughs> We're bringing people together to live, love, and give like Jesus. I hope that every one of you, if you were asked, what is this church about, would say live, love, give. I hope because you see it on the, on the wall when you walk in because we talk about it all the time. What is a disciple? It's someone who lives like Jesus, loves like Jesus, and gives like Jesus. And when I look at this, I look at the very last word, give like Jesus. Giving like Jesus is not merely giving your money. That's part of it. But the idea here is giving your life. You want to worship God? Emulate him. Give your life away. That's what Jesus did for us. Worship is more than me. It's about giving my life away to others. Everyday worship happens when we emulate the sacrificial life of Jesus. So uh, let's come back to this picture. Uh, my kids bring me joy when they emulate me. <laughs> Who are you worshiping? Because if you say Jesus, 
Are you emulating him? Do you look like him? Worship is more than me, and it's more than you. It's about emulating Christ and giving our lives away. And you have to say, I worship you enough, Jesus, to do what you did. I will deny myself. I will take up my cross, and I will follow the lead of the Father. And that is worship, more than music. Worship is every day emulating the sacrificial life of Jesus. Let's pray as we continue our time in worshiping through song. Heavenly Father, we come to you today in somewhat of a heavy message today because we recognize that, man, this stuff is not easy. (laughs) Because we're just so tempted to think about ourselves every moment and to emulate a life of Jesus where he's completely focused sacrificially on others and to worship you in the way we live is hard. And so we ask that you would give us the grace of the gospel every day, that you would give us the power to do what we cannot do on our own, to worship you by emulating Jesus. And so would you help us to be followers, to walk in your steps like the disciples did, Jesus, to do the things that you would have us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.